Welcome to Hope Community Church of Hickory. We are so glad you decided to join us online. Make sure and hit the follow and notification buttons to keep up to date with all of our sermons. Here is our latest message. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open with me to Ephesians chapter 1 as we begin our new series today. And as you turn there, remember uh, back in 2010, I was in college. I was living with my Aunt Jeannie in the Columbia, South Carolina area that year. And uh, one, one day I, was, uh, I went back up, traveled back up to the state of Virginia where uh, I graduated high school because one of my high school friends had, uh, was just getting married. So I went and attended his wedding. And I was up there. And, you know, I was 19 years old, so those long road trips, they were, they were still kind of fun at that time. And uh, I stayed for about the entire reception. I had about a five-hour drive home back to South Carolina, back to Angini's. But I wasn't going to rush. I was going to take my time. I started to drive back at like 10 in the morning. And uh, I remember I was just cruising. It got to be about 1 or 2 a.m. And I was just cruising along. Cruise control was set about five to seven miles per hour over the speed limit, as was my custom on those. Just going a little bit faster, but not fast enough to get pulled over. You know what I'm talking about. Um, I had uh, cranked up my Rascal Flats burnt CD um, there, singing my lungs out to stay awake. And then somewhere between 1 or 2 a.m., all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I went from having clear skies to driving through a torrential downpour. But I didn't panic. I kept my calm, kept my composure. I just got over into the other lane that was on higher ground, so it was going away from the water. And then I, I slowed my cruise control down to about 5 to 7 under the speed limit. My problem was, however, as soon as I let the cruise control set again, the wheels kicked, the water caught it, and before I knew I was hydroplaning and spinning 360s in the middle of the interstate. Next thing you know, I smack into a guardrail and I'm facing the opposite direction on the interstate, and I just remember hearing the horn and seeing the blinding lights of an 18-wheeler go screaming right by me. Now, I don't know how close that was, but it felt like he missed me by inches. Then I got out of the car to inspect the damage, and the front, front of the car was pretty banged up. The, the hood was shifted. Uh, Chavis probably still remembers the effects of that car. I still drove it whenever I first moved to Shelby. The hood was kind of shifted off target. You know, I had duct tape holding the back windows up. There were lasting effects from this crash that I didn't pay to get fixed. But I got out of the car. It was pouring rain, and really, I just, I just had to pull a bunch of mud and dirt out of the wheel well, and the car started right back up. It had just stalled out. And I was able to make my way back. And I remember as I emerged into traffic, it struck me that there was only like a small strip of guardrail on that road. I was on Highway 20, and it just happened to be right where I hit it. It, was only, it couldn't have been more than a couple hundred yards of guardrail right there. The rest of it was straight woods. And then the further along I got in the trip, I, I remember like I had been around in traffic the entire car ride. I had like five or six cars around me at all times. I had cars in front of me, beside me, behind me. But whenever I started spinning out, it was like all of a sudden those cars just all vanished and I didn't hit anybody. It was kind of perplexing. Now, the next morning, uh, Aunt Jeannie, she, she gets up, she sees the car, so she comes and drags me out of bed. She's like, what happened? <laughs> And I told her what happened. My Aunt Jeannie, she's a firecracker. You know, like, I, I wish you know it's hard. She's about this tall. She's got the red hair. It's where Fletcher gets his hair color from. And she tells it like it is. Aunt Jeannie, don't mess around. So she snatched me up. She said, what happened? And I told her, and she said, you know, it's crazy. She said, somewhere between 1 or 2 in the morning, I woke up in a panic. And I just 
felt like I really need to pray for you. And so she, she said, I just started praying really, really hard at that same time. And then she asked me a question I'll never forget. And it stuck with me, not because of the complexity of the question, but the fact that she was willing to ask the question at all. She asked why. She said, why did God wake me up to pray for you? Did my prayer save your life? If I had just brushed it off and gone back to sleep, would things have happened differently? Why does God do things like that? Now, my Aunt Jeannie is as strong as a Christian as I have ever known. And I don't think I've ever seen a, a someone that I knew to be a strong person of faith be willing to ask a question like that. Because normally we're supposed to just take the win and share the testimony. But rarely do we take the time to really ask why. Why do we pray? Why does God prompt us the way that he does at times? How do we know it's God and not just our feelings? Does God actually speak back? What's the point of praying over and over for things that don't seem to be happening? These are all things that we are going to discuss throughout the course of this series. And we are entitling this series, as Jalisa said, All Access. Because Paul tells us in Ephesians, he says, For through him, through Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. Because of what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection, we now have full access to God. Hebrews says we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. However, how many things do we have access to that we don't actually use? Now, how many of us have that gym membership that rarely we use the privileges that we have there? How many streaming channels are we, how many streaming channels are we paying for and we forget all about because we don't actually use them? Having access to something doesn't mean you're taking full advantage of it. And just because we have access doesn't mean we actually use it the way we should. And all of us have the same access and privilege of prayer, but how many of us are taking full advantage of it? Now, I'm sure we have all had questions before in regards to prayer. Some of you like the questions we mentioned a bit ago, but it's almost never questioned that prayer is in fact important. Even in secular circles, prayer is normally not disregarded. It's almost a natural instinct. You'll see in secular TV networks, whenever a tragedy happens, no matter how anti-Christian or anti-Jesus they are in many ways, it almost rolls off the tongue whenever they say, our thoughts and our prayers are with you. It's almost all too obvious that there is this natural draw and desire for divine intervention. One study done in 2004 found that even 30% of adamantly proclaimed atheists still admit that they pray sometimes. Another found that 17% of non-believers and atheists admit to praying regularly, not just sometimes. This study also found that the frequency of prayer among non-believers and atheists increases with age. There is something deep within us and within our design that knows that there is a higher power and not just that there is a higher power, but that this higher power can be engaged with. I also think the reason that the frequency of prayer goes up with age is because this broken world leaves us with a desperate desire for hope. And I think we can learn a lot from Paul whenever he gives us insight into why he prays and what he prays for. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, Paul writes, he says to the church, For this reason, 
Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So here in this prayer, I believe, Paul, he gives us two main purposes for prayer, and that is to know him better and to know the hope. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for these moments that we have right now as a community gathering around your word. Father, I pray your living word would really come alive to us today. I pray even if this is a passage that we have read dozens of times in our lifestyle, I pray you would speak new truth to us. I pray that you would speak truth through me because I know without your spirit, without your love, without your power, I can't say anything of any significance or importance. So I pray that you be glorified in this moment. Thank you that we don't have to ask you to fill this place because we know by the power of your spirit, you are already here giving us access to you. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for this privilege of being able to talk directly to our almighty, all holy, majestic Father. I pray that the mysteries and the complexities of this gift of prayer would be made known to us over these next few weeks. I pray you do something within the culture of our church that would be contagious to all of Catawba County and beyond. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who we get to be in you. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now, back in 2013, um, I went to the Passion Conference. Anyone ever heard or been to the Passion Conference in Atlanta, Georgia? The, me and Joey, we're the only ones. Well, there's another one over here. Thank you. Um, so if you're not familiar with the Passion Conference, it's probably the largest Christian gathering among college students and young adults in the world. And that year, 2013, was probably the largest one to date. They had it in the Georgia Dome. It was awesome. And that conference was completely life-changing for me. Because I had already known I was called to ministry by that point. However, it was at that conference specifically where I felt the draw and the call to preach. Now, that happened, that initial spark happened whenever I heard a pastor speak at the conference out of Seattle, Washington, named Judah Smith. I had never heard of Judah before. I didn't know anything about him, but I was enamored as a young college student. I was enamored with the way that he passionately and clearly communicated God's word. And it like stirred something up within me. And so for the next few years, I never missed the message that Judah gave. I read all of his books. To this day, he's probably the single greatest influence on my life and ministry of anyone that I've never met. But I was so invested in his ministry and what he was doing, I felt like I knew him. I felt like I was a part of his church. I remember one Sunday I was listening to one of the Sunday messages from that day and he announced that they were changing the name of their church from City Church Seattle to Church Home and I remember getting upset. I'm like, well, I'm just going to find out along with everybody else. You're just going to blindside me like this, Judah? You know, I don't even like this name. Where's my vote in this? I remember legitimately feeling those feelings and then realizing like, Kenny, you're an idiot. You don't go to his church. You don't know him. You actually have no skin in this game. But it's amazing how, especially in this day and age, it is amazing how we can feel like we know someone that we've never met. 
especially with the rise in social media and how connected everything is. We can feel as if we're connected with someone so far away, but at the end of the day, we don't actually know them. And my fear is that many people who claim to be Christians have that same type of relationship with God. They'll tune into church, they hear the messages, they've read the books, they even read the scriptures, but they haven't actually met him. They feel like they know him because of all the things that they've seen, heard, and witnessed from a distance, but they've never actually come close themselves. That's what makes what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 so terrifying. Whenever he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name? Then we cast out demons in your name and done all these wonders in your name. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. So depart from me. Can you confidently say that you know him? Or do you just know about him? Now, back whenever Rachel first walked into the church offices down in Shelby, I was determined to get to know who she was. When I first caught a glimpse of her. I didn't see her face, but I knew that I wanted to. Right? I saw which office she was in for a meeting, and it was directly across from Pastor Jeremy's office. And so I was trying to be slick and play coy. So I was going to, I realized I needed to go ask Jeremy something. Right? I had to go over to his office. So I walked over there, but the joke was on me because her back was still to the door and Jeremy wasn't even in his office. So I just looked like an idiot in that moment. So I just kind of hung out by the bookshelves in, in, in the open area, just waiting around for a meeting to be over. I waited probably just long enough for it to be a little bit weird. But eventually she came out. We made brief eye contact and I went, ah. <laughs> and she walked out out of my life. But then I was like, yeah, I need to know who she is. So Skip immediately went on his social media hunt and we found her. A few days later, I sent her a friend request on Facebook. She accepted, no big deal. <laughs> a few days after that, she added me on Instagram. So I knew I was in there then. I almost crashed into Wendy's whenever that notification popped up on my phone. <laughs> Then later that day, I was at uh, dinner with a friend, um, and Rachel had added him on Instagram as well. And he's looking at his phone, and he says, who is Rachel Lewis? I said, my wife? <laughs> now, was that prophetic or cringy? Probably a little bit of both. And I didn't want to share that story until after we were engaged, because it probably would have been a little weird if I was declaring marriage over this girl that I've never even spoken to before in my life. So I didn't want to wait around a long time to get to know her. So I had a mutual friend introduce us the next Sunday. So now that we had been introduced, I could confidently say that I knew her. But it wasn't good enough just to know her. I wanted to know her better. So I asked her on a date in the first 45 seconds of talking to her. She said yes. And so we proceeded to go on date after date. And we had phone call after phone call. And the better we got to know each other, the more I got to know her, the more I realized this was a person I did not want to go through life without. You see, whenever Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, he says he's confident they know God. He knows that they love God and they love people, but he says he keeps asking. 
And what does he keep asking for? He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. Here Paul gives us the first primary purpose for prayer. The primary purpose for prayer is to know God better. You see, it's not enough just to know God, not enough just to be introduced to him. God's desire in this spiritual journey is that we would know him better and better. And it's impossible to get to know someone you don't actually talk to. But too often, we don't really treat prayer as a means of communication and relational development with God. We use it merely as a way to make requests and demands of God. The late Dr. Tim Keller, he points out, that we don't treat prayer as a way to get things from God. No, we're supposed to treat prayer as a way to get more of God himself. And if we treated prayer this way, we probably wouldn't be so discouraged and confused whenever we don't get the things that we pray for. Here's a lengthy side point I'm going to put on the screen for you today as well. But this is something that's very important for us to remember. Prayer is not the means by which we control our circumstances. Prayer is the means by which we can better understand God's presence within our circumstances. Almost every single psalm in the Old Testament is a prayer in and of itself. And we can learn a lot about prayer by the way we see David praying throughout the psalms. And we see him pray in one of the most famous psalms of all time in Psalm 23. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't pray, God, keep me from the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say, if I so happen by chance to go through a valley of the shadow of death. No, he was confident. He knew that inevitably a time was going to come in his life where he would go through some pretty low and dark places. But he says, even when I go through that, I will not fear. Why? For you are with me. You see, his faith and trust in God wasn't determined by if things were going well or not. His confidence was based on God's presence in his life, knowing that whether rain or shine or in the highs or in the lows, God was going to be with him. He reiterates this in Psalm 34 whenever he says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Almost everyone will agree that you will find out who your real friends are whenever things start to go wrong. You find out in those times who is really there for you. And if God were just completely take away the free will of man, the consequences of sin, this broken world that we live in, if he were just to never allow any bad things to ever happen to us, would we ever really know how good he is or how much he cares? But we miss out on that beautiful truth about him and his character whenever we fail to take the time to get to know him and his heart for us. And whenever we treat God as just some sort of cosmic genie rather than the actual loving and caring father that he is, we won't actually get to know him because all we'll care about is what he can do for us rather than appreciating him for who he is. See, too many people will only look to God. They will only look his way whenever things start to go wrong. But whenever you only look to God whenever things go wrong, 
If you only look to God whenever you experience hurt or pain or darkness, you will start to associate God with hurt and pain and darkness because that's the only time you look to him is whenever you experience those things. I remember whenever Fletcher had to get his first shots, it was probably more traumatizing on me than anybody else. Uh, because I was asked to hold him and distract him. And there was no way Rachel was going to do that. You know, she has got a track record of passing out just at the sight of doctoral equipment. So that job fell on me. But I remember we laid him down on the table. He was only a few months old at this time. And I, I was holding his hands down and uh, I looked down at him. He was looking up at me and then he gave me a smile. And he had like just started smiling at that time. So I was like melting. I'm looking down at him. I'm smiling back. He's smiling up at me. And then I thought to myself, oh no. Because as he was locked into eye contact with me, the needles went in his legs. And he didn't break eye contact with me. He looked at me with a sheer look of betrayal. And he went from, from smiling at me to screaming at me. And I tried to comfort him. You know, but he didn't want me anymore. He didn't trust me anymore. He wanted mama. And I swear, Rachel doesn't believe me. I swear that baby held a grudge against me for a couple of days after that. <laughs> I promise you, like, like we, the interactions were a little bit off. The holding him wasn't the same. You know, our relationship was just off there. So anytime after that we start, we would take him to go get a shot. I'd still have to hold him down, right? We would still put him, put him there on the table, but I would hold his hands, but I would duck behind the table, you know? So he couldn't actually see me. No, the nurse, she's the evil one. You know, like, be, be mad at her. <laughs> and then over the past, next year, like, our, our, we spent so much time together, you know? Like, our relationships has grown as he's grown. Our bond, our, we have this bond that just keeps getting stronger and stronger. That's my buddy, and then this past week, we, had to, we took him to his one-year appointment. And this one, he didn't just have to get two shots, but they also had to do the blood work, too. And they like did like legitimate blood work out of the vein, this poor kid. And so not only did I have to hold him down for the shots, I had to hold him in my lap for when his blood was being drawn. However, this time, he didn't blame me. This time, he reached for me. You see, whenever Fletcher gets hurt nowadays... He doesn't get mad at me for allowing him to get hurt. He doesn't blame me for, keep, for allowing him to experience that kind of hurt. No, he doesn't blame me. Now, he reaches for me. He, he wants me. Whenever he gets hurt, he wants dad to come pick him up and to comfort him and to help make it better. You see, we can't afford to have just a seasonal relationship with God. We can't afford just to only look his way whenever we get hurt or experience pain or things get hard. We need that consistent relationship with him to really know him. And the better we get to know him, the better we get to know that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That we can cast every care on him because he cares for us. That he even knows the number of hairs that are on your head or your face. Matt. <laughs> He even said in, in Isaiah, he said, even to your old age and gray hair, I will carry you. 
He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He is strength for the weak. He's a shield for those who seek him. He blesses us. He keeps us. He never leaves us or forsake us. And he will supply every need of yours according to the riches in Christ Jesus. He's the God that's with you and for you. He loves you and there's not a thing in or out of this world that will ever separate you from the love of God. So whenever you get to know him for him, you will lose all sense of a conditional relationship. We see in David's prayers with God that there really wasn't anything he wouldn't talk about with God. There were times he was angry with God. There were times he vented to God. There were times he was confused and frustrated with God. And he felt comfortable expressing all of that to him because he knew the relationship was always going to be intact. God wasn't going anywhere. So he could talk anything out with God because it wasn't like he could hide anything from God anyway. He said in Psalm 7, the one who examines thoughts and emotions is a righteous God. He knows what we're thinking. He knows and understands our emotions. There's nothing you could ever say to God that would catch him off guard. But he still wants us to take all of that to him. Because whenever we pray, we're inviting his presence into our circumstance. Whenever we refuse to pray, we refuse to treat God as God, as if he's in control, as if he is actually present. We invite him into our circumstance, and whenever we do that, we get to experience his personal comfort, his fatherly care, and it helps us gain a heavenly perspective about whatever we have going on. That way we can still request things from him, but then we can stay confident in him enough to leave it all in his hands. We even see Jesus praying this way in the garden before he goes to the cross. And as he's in the garden, sweating drops of blood because of the anxiety of anticipation of all that was about to happen to him, he still requests of God. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, Dr. Tim Keller in his book on prayer, he says, prayer is the way to experience a powerful confidence that God is handling our lives well, that our bad things will turn out for good, our good things cannot be taken from us, and the best things are yet to come. He also points out that we can know that God is working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We can know he's working out that good, but very, very seldom can we actually discern what that good is. That's why our confidence must always be in him and not an outcome. James says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, the Father of heavenly lights that does not change like shifting shadows. James says every good gift comes from him. He is a giver of good things. He's not a taker of good things. And he does not change. We change. Times change. Seasons change. Circumstances change. But he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even whenever this life is difficult and things get bad, he has the ultimate good waiting for us at the end of it all. And that's why Paul gives us his second primary purpose for prayer. And that is to know the hope. He says in verse 18, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. First, he says, I pray you know the hope 
of your calling. That word called or calling means the divine invitation to embrace salvation in the kingdom of God. Now, these people that Paul is writing to, they've been saved. They've already embraced their place in the kingdom of God. However, Paul doesn't just want them to know God better. He wants them to know their salvation better. He prays that the eyes of our hearts be opened and enlightened more and more. That the reality and the truth of your salvation should grip your heart more and more every single day. We can't afford to allow this just to become callous in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit, he gives us a greater insight and deeper revelation into what Jesus did for us. And whenever we spend intentional time in the presence of God, we can't help but be overwhelmed with all he's done for us and who we are now. Dallas Willard in his book, Hearing God, said, every time Christians merely remember who they are in Christ, that great word comes home to us. Don't you love that word picture? It comes home to us. And we will find over and over again the heart to pray. See, many times we do not make prayer a priority because we've become callous to the truth of our salvation. And whenever we allow that to happen, our spiritual lives will begin to drift. That's what happened to David. He lost sight of the magnitude and the gloriousness of God in his life. And in turn, his relationship with God began to take a back seat to his schedule, to his responsibilities, to his kingdom, to his pride. And eventually it led to him having a family-destroying affair. Now David did repent. God did forgive him. He still experienced the consequences for his sin. But in his prayer of repentance, he asked God in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Other translations say, God, make me willing to obey you. See, David understood that what was going to give his life purpose and value, he knew what was going to sustain him was allowing the joy of God's salvation to once again grip his heart. And whenever that happened he could once again walk in obedience. Not the other way around. That's where legalism comes into play whenever we feel like we need to walk in obedience and do all these things right and then we can experience the joy of our salvation. You will never have the fuel or motivation to walk in obedience unless you are enamored with your salvation. Unless you are enamored with the hope that he has offered you. And that is only going to be possible if we get into the presence of God through prayer. Because genuine change in our lives will only come through prayer. Because prayer is the avenue by which God reveals to us who we really are and how much he still loves us anyway. You know, it's impossible to get to know God better and to not get to get to know yourself better at the same time. Because whenever you're in the presence of Almighty God, you begin to sense your smallness in light of his greatness. You begin to sense your sinfulness in light of his holiness. You realize that there's nothing about you or your thoughts or your desires that can be hidden from an all-knowing God. But all of those revelations will not lead you to a place of despair. No, they will lead you to a place of repair. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, through prayer, we sense his presence and receive his joy, his love, his peace and confidence, and thereby we are changed in attitude, behavior, and character. We sense his joy, his love, his peace, his confidence, and thereby 
we are changed in attitude, behavior, and character. That's why our hearts being enlightened and to know how much we have been saved from is so vitally important to our spiritual lives. And we will not stay in a place of gratitude for all of that if we do not stay in a posture of prayer. Paul describes this hope that he's called us to as the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. And because we know there is an inheritance that we have, we know that we're not just sinners that have been saved. We are not just lost ones that have been found. We are not just prisoners who have been set free, but even more so, we are orphans who have been adopted into God's own family. God makes you his child, so much so that you are written into his will, so you have an inheritance. You have all the privileges of a royal family member. Paul tells us about this in Romans chapter 8, for he says, for those who are led of the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Paul tells us, rather than fear, the Spirit of God fills Christians with confidence and God's loving attention, similar to the trust of a little child towards their parent. It says the Spirit leads us to cry, Abba, Father. That is actually a Greek word that can be translated fervent prayer. And this isn't some sort of last resort prayer. Now, one pastor said the Holy Spirit gives us confident faith that naturally turns into prayer. You see, the Holy Spirit causes faith to come as naturally to us as a child looking to their dad to make it better. Or crying, look, daddy, look, whenever they learn a new trick. The Holy Spirit gives us insight that our relationship with God is not about an employer to employees. No, our relationship with God is based around his parental love for us. Dr. Tony Evans said when commentating on this passage, he said, Paul wants the Ephesians to be aware of their family privileges. Knowing who their daddy is has staggering implications. Many Christians are living spiritually poor lives while sitting on a pile of spiritual wealth. While God holds most of your spiritual inheritance for eternity, he will give you what you need right now to fulfill his purposes for you. Because you are his child. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more good will the Father give to us? Because he's a good father. And to be fair, a lot of people have a really hard time wrapping their minds around this spiritual truth because they haven't had many positive experiences when it came to their earthly father. It's, hard, it's a heartbreaking reality that many people have a difficult time seeing God as their heavenly father because they've had such a bad experience or no experience at all with their earthly father. So many people have had the power and the beauty and the sacredness of family diminished in their lives. And if that was your experience, I'm so sorry. That was not God's will. 
That was not his design and that was not his intention for you and your family. But if that was your experience, this is what you need. If your earthly father was absent, you need to know that your heavenly father is present. If your earthly father was abusive, you need to know that your heavenly father is caring and loving and nurturing. If you had a family marked by betrayal, you need to know that your God is faithful. He remains faithful even when we are faithless. If you had a family you felt like you couldn't communicate with, you need to know that almighty God in heaven values every single word that you say to him. If you had an earthly family that was closed off, God wants you to know that he has opened himself up to you. And he went to very great lengths to make himself available to you. He went to great lengths to make sure you knew that you have full access to him. See, all that sin that had separated man from the Father for all of those centuries had to be dealt with. So God put skin, on, skin and bone on himself. He came to this planet. He walked this earth. He faced all the same temptations that you've faced in this life. He knows there's nothing that you can go through that he cannot sympathize with because he was a human as well. And he came here so he could be your closest confidant your best friend in the times of trouble, the one who can sustain you and see you through the truest source of love you could ever experience in this life is all found in him. So just talk to him. Just talk to him. If you don't know where to start or what to say, start with that. Whenever you're alone, whenever you're in the car driving to work, Maybe it's early in the morning with a cup of coffee. Maybe it's the last thing you do before your head hits the pillow at night. Talk to him. If you don't know what to say, just say, God, I don't know what to say. I don't really know where to start, but just start the conversation. Start the dialogue. Open up some scripture. Pray through a song. And here's going to be my encouragement and homework for you this week. I'm going to do something like this at the end of every single sermon throughout this series. And it's just very, very simple. Some of you probably already practice this. But whenever you pray, get alone with God. Make sure you are alone and pray out loud. Don't just pray in your mind quietly. Practice it. Do that this week, once a day, whether you're in the car, wherever you are. Pray out loud to God. Whenever we pray out loud, first off, it doesn't allow our minds to wander. I don't know if you're like me, but my mind goes a thousand different directions all the time. But whenever I pray out loud to him, it makes the communication so much more real in the physical. And I can experience the spiritual more because of it. Talk to him. And after you spend some time praying out loud to him, spend a few moments in silence just to see if he'll say anything back. See if he'll speak to you. And if that idea of God speaking back to you, hearing the voice of God in your life, if that's strange to you, if that's confusing to you, well, the good news is that's what we're going to talk about next week. <laughs> and we'll break that down. So begin to practice that this week. Talking out loud to him. Allowing some time for silence to see if he speaks back. Write down whatever you think he might be saying to you in that moment or through that scripture. And we'll process it all together next week as we continue our series. Jalisa and Jenny come back up with every head bowed and every eye closed in this moment. 
Father, I want to pray over every single one of my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray that we would get to know you better. I pray that your Holy Spirit would unlock something within our hearts and with our minds right now that we wouldn't leave this place today. We wouldn't walk out <coughs> those back doors without knowing you a little bit more than whenever we came in. And Father, I pray that throughout this month that you would spark something within us in the body of believers, whether it's here at Hope Hickory, Hope You See, Hope Shelby, Equip Church, Father, all the churches in our surrounding areas, Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would be doing the same work over at Sai and Soma and Selah and I Church, Father, and all the surrounding ones here at Highland Baptist. I pray for a revival and a resurgence of fiery prayer among your churches. I pray, Father, that the pettiness of doctrinal and theological differences we pushed aside and we would go back to the days of revival of old where the only thing that would matter is getting on our knees and pursuing you in your presence and following your leading, not our opinions. Oh, Father, I pray you do a great work in our day and age. Thank you that we get to be a part of it. And I pray, Father, even though whenever we get caught up in, in giving all of these visions and missions and everything, we know that we don't have a vision. Your vision has a church. So I pray that you would give us vision. I pray you would open up our ears to hear you clearly, more clearly than we ever had before in our lives. Let this be a season marked by prayer and closeness to our Father. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for being there whenever we fall. Thank you for being so patient, so kind, so gracious when we don't deserve a second of your time. Oh, Father, I pray that you inhabit our praise in this moment. Pray your Holy Spirit would be so thick and tangible as we sing and chase after you and your presence together one more time before we leave this place. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who we get to be in you. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. And it's in your powerful and holy and perfect name that we pray. Amen. You guys stand and worship with us one more time. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share what you heard this week, make sure and tag at hope underscore HKY on Instagram or Hope Hickory on Facebook. If you want to partner with our ministry, you can give online at hopehickory.org.